0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. And good morning to those of you on Zoom. I see a couple friends from Green Gulch, which is wonderful. Thanks for being here. The chanting helped (laughs) settle my nerves a little bit. We begin today by offering a Land Acknowledgement Practice. I invite you to settle in, maybe take a breath if that feels good. Notice how these words land for you. We collectively acknowledge that we are practicing cultural humility. For those of us in South Minneapolis and St. Paul, We acknowledge that we are living and practicing on stolen Dakota and Anishinaabe traditional, ancestral and contemporary lands. For those of us in other parts of the world, take a moment to reflect on the indigenous peoples of those lands. We acknowledge the genocide and displacement perpetrated by the US government against Native Americans and the colonization that continues to this day. We invite each and every one of us to consider land acknowledgement as a living, engaged practice, not just something to be tacked on to the beginning of a Dharma talk. For those of us who are not Native American, we commit to curiosity and engagement with the lives, justice movements and sovereignty of the Native nations of this territory and beyond. We make efforts to learn and take action when and where we can as bodhisattva activity. We also recognize the anniversary of the murder of George Floyd here in the Twin Cities three years ago. In the ways that feel right for us in our bodies, in our space at this time, we sit with the heaviness, the pain the joy and courage woven into the protest movements and mutual aid that have unfolded in the aftermath, as well as the ongoing violence faced by our black and brown siblings at the hands of the police. May we stand side by side in community care. Today's talk centers on my recent experiences on pilgrimage in Japan, and I'd like to offer My deepest gratitude to our Japanese spiritual ancestors, and especially our Japanese Buddhist spiritual ancestors in the US for all they have given us, despite facing tremendous persecution by the US government. May we continue to acknowledge this history as we come together in the present. So, as you may see I have a computer <laughs> and I'm hoping to um, share some slides of images at the end uh, but I'm also noticing that I am nervous I can feel my my belly kind of warm and bouncing and I can feel my pulse you know in, not just in my chest but in my fingertips in my elbows and uh, just like the chanting at the top of our Dharma talk helped me you know the kind of the resonance of my voice and my body but everybody's voices helped me settle. Um, I thought I would actually kind of switch my script a little bit and have us all, to the degree that anybody wants to participate, um, chant together the, uh, Jizo Dharani or Jizo Mantra. Jizo is the figure who's at the back of our Zendo. Um, for those of you on Zoom, you, you can't see that statue right this moment, but, um, but I, a, a favorite of mine and one that's really, really common on the Kumano Kodo pilgrimage trail, but also all across Japan. Um, and so Jizo, they're, they're a Bodhisattva, uh, Kishitigarbha in Sanskrit that, um, means earth store or the womb of the earth and, um, a protector of children, a protector of, uh, folks who have children, a protector of travelers and just in general, a supporter of, of, life and care for kind of daily life um so i i on the trail chanted out loud this uh, mantra a lot because i was struggling i was in a lot of pain and uh asking myself like why am i doing this why am i doing this my you know my I, my feet hurt my knees hurt uh it's been 10 miles how many more do we have to go each day uh and so I thought that I would. I'm going to share screen so that those of you on Zoom can sh- can chant along with us. And Kato is um, is sharing the chant with you all here too. But you can also see it on the screen. So bear with me as I share screen and then rearrange my screen a little bit. Let's see here, there we go, okay, <laughs> so let's chant this six times um, and I'll, I'll just get started so you can kind of feel the speed and rhythm I'm going at. And then join in to the degree that, that it feels good to you. I'll, I probably, I sway back and forth as though I'm taking steps and I put an exclamation point at the end because I encourage you to, to bring some energy into it. You know, um, I, I like to try to chant from, from my hara, from the, some, from my abdomen as much as I can. On Ka Kabisan Mae Ka Kabisan Soaka, on Soaka, Thank you for joining me in that. Um, On the sheet that uh, was shared in person here in the Zendo, there's a little description, which is that the Jizo Dharani or mantra invokes Jizo's presence and can help to dispel distressing thoughts or energy and offer well-being and protection. Certainly helped me on the trail. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and stop share for now. We'll get back to it. So I wanted to, in thinking about this talk, um, and uh, I I kind of focused on how I was feeling about this idea of pilgrimage um, as Koji and myself and the two others who joined us started planning, you know, nine plus months in advance, um, you know, not knowing yet what the um, visa situation was going to be in Japan, uh, what COVID was gonna look like uh, nationally, globally, and in Japan. Um, and so there were a lot of fingers crossed, a lot of, you know, hoping for the best, doing as much planning as we could. Um, and uh, so I was thinking at that time, and then thinking as it got closer, uh, and then while we were there and, and since, like, why? <laughs> you know, Why go on a pilgrimage? Um, I definitely feel the privilege that I have as a person who has the, um, the resources to be able to travel recreationally or to travel for um, spiritual exploration and practice and also, you know, thinking about jet fuel, thinking about the impact that that has on the uh, environment of our finite planet um, and and also, uh, specifically thinking about Dogen Zenji, our, uh, the founder of Soto Zen, which is the kind of Zen we practice here at Clouds, um, and he lived in the 1200s in Japan, and so much of his message is that daily life is practice, you know, that there's no need to go anywhere else or do something else in order to be fully, deeply engaged in practice, like you're at a monastery, like you're on a pilgrimage. Every day, you know, washing the dishes, going to work, driving in your car—these things are practice. There's no distinction. Um, so I'm going to share a couple quotes from Dogen, um, and actually, these are the translations I'll share are by Kaz Tanahashi, whose calligraphy we also have. We're lucky enough here at Clouds to have some, uh, some of some of his art calligraphy. And there's uh, a piece that uh, is on the wall here in the zendo, and then some other ones throughout the, the center. Um, so in Yogin's essay, the Genjo Koan, which in many U.S. Zen centers we chant as liturgy, uh, he one of the lines is, I love the Genjo Koan, actually, so I wish I could read the whole thing. But one of the lines is, when you find your place where you are, practice occurs. When you find your place where you are, practice occurs. And I love that. Uh, it was actually painted on a mural on my house when I lived in Colorado. Um, And it feels peaceful and enlivening to me, like, you know, in in that house and in that backyard, I had a permaculture food forest, I was growing a ton of food and herbs and medicine. And every time I was just outside digging around, you know, uh, mulching things or harvesting things, uh, I would think, yeah, you know, like I'm, I'm really actively getting, getting here, you know, getting into my body, getting into this moment in this place, finding my place right here, right now where I am, this is practice, practice is occurring. And, um, and I was also there in rural south, southwestern Colorado, that same house, when I got very, very ill, the, the illness that almost took my life, And so I had an awful lot of time, you know, a year and a half to sit in a chair in the sun on my porch alone every day Mm -hmm. and find my place where I was. You know, there was no there was nothing else I could be doing. I needed help to get to the bathroom. I needed help to get a sip of water. So all I could do was just find my place where I was and. And practice did occur, actually, um, being so my focus, my life focus being so narrowed at that time. um, I found incredible peace, you know, I just had to rest in the present moment because there was nothing else that I could do other than breathe, take the next breath, try to take the next sip of water, just this thing. So, in another one of Dogen's essays, he um, he says, and this is the Fukanzazangi, another essay that's chanted as liturgy in the U.S., uh, he says, the way, the dharma, is basically perfect and all-pervading. How could it be contingent on practice and realization? Like, what else does it need? It's everywhere, in everything, all the time. It's never apart from one, right where one is. What is the use of going off here and there to practice? (laughs) Which I also love. You know, there's that. There, these just reiterate that idea that there's nothing extra, there's nothing special, there's nothing needed. One doesn't necessarily need to go on a pilgrimage or need to go to the monastery to have a deep and engaged practice. And, um, and I, these, I thought of these quotes, because I was thinking about that time in in Colorado, Um, when I started healing from that illness, um, I was experiencing just an incredible amount of of grief, you know, just a lot that moves and shifts and comes up as our bodies so dramatically change. Um, And I had thought of going to uh, San Francisco Zen Center's Green Gulch Farm to just see how would it be, you know? How would it be to sit in a in a zendo uh, meditation hall with a whole bunch of people in the dark, staring at a wall for some months, you know? Just letting myself settle in, letting myself be in the beautiful gardens. How would it be, you know? But I felt conflicted because of this idea of like, well, why, you know, what is the use of going off here and there to practice? Like I can do that all right here. Um, but I did go. I went in uh, 2017. Um, early, early 2017, right after the inauguration of Donald Trump. And, um, and I felt, I did feel super conflicted. I talked with teachers there a bunch, uh, one in particular about this. Um, because, you know, this idea that everything is practiced, daily life is practice. Uh, I feel like there's a shorthand for that, which is like, just this, you know, just this, just this-ness. And, um, and I asked one of the teachers there, you know, like if, if daily life is practice, if just business is the whole point, mm-hmm. the whole point of what we're doing, then why are we here? Like, what are we doing here? Why have these 50 to 150 people come to Green Gulch Farm in California? Um, shouldn't we all be at home, you know, doing our best to wake up? And be wholesomely engaged with our lives rather than going off here and there to practice. And especially for me as a social justice activist, I felt like I was abandoning my communities by going to Green Gulch Farm, this gorgeous place in this in Marin, California, which is like a world apart from uh, my daily life. And uh, the, the, that teacher gave a really great answer which was that just thisness is subtle that touching it or feeling it or being able to rest in it is subtle uh, that there's a kind of a texture to the groundedness in our bodies in place and time but also the containedness in our bodies in place and time and the, and the spaciousness that can come from that that the texture of that experience is subtle. And it's really hard to find on your own. It's really hard to touch in daily life without uh, support. And uh, Guagu, whose translation of the Mumonkon or gateless gate um, that we're reading in uh, one of the Zen study groups here at Clouds, he talks about, um, and Guagu is a, a Chan teacher. He talks about the sensation of doubt, which I love. I love that idea a lot the like sensation what's the sensation of doubt the mind of wonderment you know the mind of wondering or curiosity or not knowing and for me those things are the same as just thisness just here just now I don't know everything all I all I can apprehend or experience is just this moment um and in fact you know I feel like that teacher telling me well gosh it's subtle and guagu in in um the his translation which is called passing through the gateless barrier um, i feel like they're saying you know we do need practice whether whatever that looks like for people whether that's koan practice or coming to clouds and water or going on a pilgrimage or living residentially or reading you know old texts whatever it is for us so that we do need scaffolding or a container something to support us In being able to kind of rest and relax enough to to feel into that sensation of great doubt, that sensation of not knowing. Because that sensation isn't unscary. It's it's a little scary in and of itself. And passing into it feels like passing into a fire sometimes. Um, And and in fact, in that same essay, the Fukanza Zengi, that uh, Dogen Zengi wrote in the 1200s, He says, after what is the use of going off here and there to practice, he says, and yet, if there is the slightest discrepancy, the way the way the Dharma is as distant as heaven from earth. Now, if the least like or dislike arises, the mind is lost in confusion, which to me sounds like, oh. that's a that's a tall order you know that's impossible of course the least like or dislike is going to arise every moment of every day uh, all the time so what you know that that for me is like yeah so we do I do I need a container I do really well with support uh, structures and scaffoldings the kind of lattices to rest on and for many years that was the monastery that was the residential practice community or communities that I was living in that you know that supported me to keep resting enough to touch the just thisness to touch the sensation or texture of doubt and that's what pilgrimage is for me too you know it's been three and a half years now since I've left residential practice and it has been quite an adjustment um but you know uh, and I think just like Dogen saying that practice is daily life. I think pilgrimage is too. You know, I think of the stitches in our uh, rakasus that look like the little bibs that are abbreviated robes or the stitches in these big robes. Um, I think of the process of stitching those as a pilgrimage, you know, embodied devotional practice, step-by-step, stitch-by-stitch. And um, in that way, it's a lattice or a framework you know, like a well-trod trail, like the Kumano Kodo pilgrimage trails that are over a thousand years old in Japan, walked by so many people before me, with me, after me, just like stitching a robe, you know, hands like mine have done this in very much this way for 2,500 plus years, you know, with me, before me, and after me as well. And so for me, that's what pilgrimage means or is, you know, that it's faith as a verb, not as a noun, not as a thing I can wrap my mind around or say this is what I believe in, but instead, a verb, you know, the continuing to show up the taking the next step, but specifically with each other, you know, collectively practice as collective action, for me, is pilgrimage and that collective action doesn't just mean right here right now, but over time. You know, over those 2,500 years, all of us together, the pilgrimage is embodied devotional practice and the embodied, I have it underlined here in my notes, embodied. It helps me feel, really feel, not just with my, my intellect, but my body in my heart into the sensation of doubt for a while and maybe even get to rest there you know, without trying to change doubt into certainty. So I've been fascinated with the idea of pilgrimage, the kind of practical, classical idea of pilgrimage, walking uh, for as long as I can remember, um, offering great effort to faith. So deciding to go to Japan to walk the ancient Kumano Kodo pilgrimage through these beautiful mountains was like no decision at all easy, of course. Of course, I wanted to do that. But uh, like I said at the top of my talk, I had a lot of questions about why, a lot of questions about access and privilege. And also, I do have structural issues with my back, with my knees, and with my feet, many of which came as a result of that major illness that I, I experienced. And, um, and they're not a small deal. You know, I went, I, I do walk you know, upwards, like two to 10 miles every day, but I don't walk up mountains with a pack on my back. And, um, and even though I've done a lot of hiking in mountains in my life, I haven't in the last several years that I've been here in Minnesota, and when I was in the monastery. Um, And so I talked to my doctors a lot, you know, like, what braces can I get? How can I make sure that I have, you know, the right compression, the things that I need? And, um, but really, the, the thing that kept coming up for me was, why Why would i do this you know why would i why would i potentially put myself in a lot of pain um a lot of discomfort and you know especially because i don't at this juncture in my life feel like i have something to prove to myself in this way like a heroic need to complete the task despite the odds you know like it's not that's not my mo anymore it used to be but it's not anymore um you know, my identity isn't tied up with being, like being the kind of person with air quotes that uh, can finish a pilgrimage through the mountains, no matter the cost. So um, I I did, like I mentioned, do a lot of questioning of why, why do this? And really the answer that came to me, uh, which surprised me a little bit beforehand. And then while we were on the trail and after in reflection was grief, that the thing that really propelled me on this pilgrimage at this time was grief, or is grief is a living thing that's that's present. I needed a container or a scaffolding or a lattice uh, to safely feel doubt to safely feel into great doubt in order to process grief, you know, grief at the deterioration of my body, which is real. Uh, grief at the horror of an unthinkable amount of death and loss through covid which is largely untalked about grief at the anti-trans legislation crisis in the u.s which is also largely untalked about unless you're in a trans and non-binary community and the kind of gut deep gut knotted terror that i feel every day when I walk outside and I walk everywhere. So I walk to the grocery store, I walk to the library, I walk to the coffee shop, you know, just being aware of how hyper aware I always have been, but especially now as I walk through spaces uh, as a BIPOC member of the trans and non binary community. And that terror extends to my trans and non binary BIPOC, disabled and immigrant friends and loved ones and family. And I needed, you know, there's so many other things too. <laughs> kind of swirling around in this great reef. Um, And I did need and continue to need help um, and support, finding that sensation of doubt that Guagu talks about, that subtle experience of just this. And, um, you know, passing through that, the fire of how scary doubt can be, really gives me this moment when I can touch it of ease You know, like, I can't, know, I can't hold on, you know, all I can do is take the next breath, take the next step and I need help (laughs) and I can't do it alone. Um, which is where that pilgrimage as collective action piece comes in. And so, you know, what I was doing on this pilgrimage was with every step, you know, chanting with my body and calling that help, I take refuge. I can't do this alone, you know, with each step stitch in our robes. We say, butsu. I take refuge, I'm taking refuge and refuge is hard for me. So it's like, ooh, okay, I do. I do need help. I do need this collective support and action. Um, and then lastly, I was, you know, ordained as a priest here at clouds and water priest in training in the fall. Um, and it has been a while, you know, these three and a half years since I left monastic practice. And it's so much harder out here in the marketplace, you know? Uh, it's so much harder in the marketplace is what we say, you know, like the, the world of working and, and making dinner and taking care of your friendships and your families and, uh, you know, marching with the community, all of these things, the marketplace. Um, it's, it's harder out here to find, like the container is sloshy. It's porous. It's always moving. Um, and it's harder to find, especially I find it, you know, being middle-aged, it's harder to find friends and community to, to support me in those ways. Um, and so I, I felt especially called at this time to try on the literal pilgrimage of the Kumano Kodo trails in Japan, um, as a way to step into new priesthood, to feel into what it's like to be a steward of Soto Zen outside of a monastery, you know, in in a lay practice environment, what is that? Who am I? What is my social role? And um, what's my spiritual role? And also, you know, I was so curious about being in Japan, which I've never been to Japan before, as a guest, you know, as a guest walking these ancient trails that mean so much spiritually, um, historically, you know, trying my best to have good manners and be respectful. And so that's my preamble. And now I want to show you some pictures (laughs) and tell you about them. So um, for those of you who are listening to this later, you can't see the pictures right now, but I am gonna do a post on the Clouds and Water blog, which is gonna include (laughs) pictures and some commentary. I see our blog Bodhisattva in the back clapping. Um, And uh, so there you go, check out the blog which isn't up yet, but will be soon. So let me once again, share a screen and make sure that this is looking right. Wait, is that at the bottom there, Rin, um, me, or is that? That's me. Okay. So real quick, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about the uh, Kumano Koro trails. Um, let me see if my there we go. Um, so this picture is one of the Tory gates going up to the um, nachi San or Nachi mountain shrine, which is the last shrine of, of the particular trail that we took. Um, and we is myself, my partner Koji, my partner Haley and their partner Derek. So all four of us went on this pilgrimage together. And, um, so this was, this was the last day, and I don't know if you can tell, but it is raining mm. <laughs> really, really hard on this day, which was beautiful. Um, so the pilgrimage, this is from, uh, what I'm reading to you about the Kumano Kodo is from the BBC's travel website about, um, historic sites in Japan. So the pilgrimage routes to Wapayama's Kumano Sanzen shrines, Sanzan shrines in the Key Mountains, known as the Kumano Kodo is more than a heritage site with over a thousand years of history. It is home to the tale of Japan's birth as a nation. According to the Kojiki, the first document of Japan's history, Jimu, the descendant of the sun goddess Amaterasu, descended from the heavens to launch a war to become the nation's first emperor. Together with his troops, Jimu won the war after their journey through the Kumano mountains. Under the tutelage of the messenger, a sacred three-legged crow named Yatagarasu. The Kumano Kodo is the birthplace of the country's spirituality, rooted in the worship of the natural environment in Shinto deities like ancient trees and in waterfalls believed to be manifestations of Buddhist entities. So a long history of pilgrimage on the Kumano and um, not just Buddhist pilgrimage. So a great variety but uh, most of the shrines and stops along the way uh, were were things like uh, an ancient pine that may have passed a- away, but was there for eight hundred years, or uh, a particularly powerful waterfall, or a place where somebody grafted a Japanese cypress to a cherry tree, and or a place where uh, a mother uh, gave birth and didn't have the the su- the support she needed to. Care for her baby and had to leave it behind. Um, so these are the sorts of spots that uh, that you stop on the Kumano Kodo. Many jizos, many jizos statues. Um, and you know, when when it's a particular kind of shrine, uh, you may offer a coin and ring a bell, bow and clap and bow. Um, other ones, there was just a place where you know maybe there were some s- stones in a circle, and you would offer a coin. Um, people offered tea and teacups, um, little bottles of liquor. You know, mm. um, really, just uh, the, the experience was mostly an experience of being in the mountains, on the mountain ridges, and like in the the natural environment that that was considered uh, uh, like powerfully um, purifying. You know, many of the um, shugendo. Yamabushi ascetics doing water purification do do um, pilgrimages on these trails as well, so this is uh, where we started this isn't on the trail yet, but this is um, in Kyoto, which is where we spent our first uh, four days and we went to so many temples it's impossible <laughs> to get to all of them i think we could go back for two weeks twice a year for the rest of our lives and not see everything in in kyoto but this one i wanted to show you because this is Kenyingji, uh which is a rinzai zen temple but this is the first or oldest zen temple in japan and also where dogen zenji the founder of soto zen received dharma transmission as a rinzai priest before he went on his journey to china so it was so cool you know just being in this space wandering this land and these buildings many of which have burnt down and been rebuilt rebuilt and burnt down and been rebuilt and burnt down and been rebuilt um but being like yeah gosh you know this was here before dogen dogen practiced here and was you know given full teaching authority or dharma transmission here how cool and it was it was this was the first um Temple we had visited many temples before this, but this is the first where I felt that sense of like that ping of recognition and resonance like oh, this is. This is our place, this is this is you know so much like what we do Um, also the dragons wow right that um, that painting on the ceiling in the hall there on the right um, was painted in I think 2002 for the 800th anniversary of this temple. Um, But there are other famous dragon paintings throughout the temple as well. And then on the left, I just loved so much that there were just endless corridors opening up to these beautiful green patches where the sun just comes through and shines on a rock. And that's the point. You, you sit on the tatami and you you gaze at these beautiful rocks with the sun on them. Um, and I was mesmerized. We spent so long here. <laughs> it, was, it was beautiful. Um, there we go. So the next is, um, on the upper right, that's a massive obancho, Boncho bancho bell. Um, that is the biggest bancho bell in Japan. And I don't know if you can see below the bell in the far distance is a, a gate and tiny, tiny people. So you can get a sense of how big this thing is. Um, it's, it's enormous and it would take, I don't know, six, I think six months to pull back that uh, giant uh, tree sized striker um with ropes to to ring it uh and it was cool when we were up there we saw tons of high school uh middle school high school age kids coming up on tours um for school tours uh, and the monks there telling them over and over and over again about the bell mm-hmm. uh and then this is Maruyama Park which is just beautiful I wanted to show a picture of it it was fun because after visiting these temples we came to- down to this park which also is like 800 years old um and uh just watched all the high school kids you know, flirting with each other and doing their their sort of like fun youth social business. Um and that was really it was really lovely to just sort of sit in the shade and and watch daily life. Um so this is the ryoza and Kanon Memorial, a war memorial, um and a famous one. I feel like folks have seen a lot of, and you know, when you Google Kyoto, you often see this image of this huge Yin Kanon. Mm -hmm. Um, in the background there. And, um, the middle picture is, uh, inside her heart. You can walk up behind Huan Yin and into her body. And there is a whole row of all of these different, uh, Buddhas, essentially. And there's, um, Fudo Myo'o, who I didn't take a picture, I did take a picture of. I have like over 3,000 pictures from this trip, but, um, but that, it was amazing being inside the heart of Huan Yin. And uh, what was really cool was when we were up in there, there was uh, a priest doing ceremony in the temple below. And so it, we heard the mokugyo, uh, the the fish drum and the bells. So we were inside her heart, just hearing the <laughs> temple sounds. And it, it was really moving. Um, on the right is me offering incense um, in the space that's under, you know, right up up past those stairs behind me in the first picture. Um, and, then, and then we have, this is still Kyoto, oops. Um, sorry, it's a little bit slower. So this is Nanzanji Rinzai Temple in Kyoto. There's this gorgeous aqueduct um, there from the 1800s. But if you go up behind the aqueduct and into the mountains that are um, like near and behind Kyoto, you um, can find this trail that goes to some, um, again, Shugendo uh, uh, water purification sites where uh, folks, like I couldn't, as a person who's not an initiate, go, I just keep losing my mic, sorry about that. Um, I couldn't go behind that barrier um, to the water purification waterfall, but I could come near. Um, and that, that to me was really beautiful. Um, a little bit about Shugendo or Yamabushi water purification there. Uh, it's a Jap- Japanese mountain aesthetic hermit tradition. Um, they're generally part of a syncretic meaning, uh, lots of different practices together. Uh, Shugendo religion, which includes tantric, Buddhist, Shinto, Japanese Taoist elements. Um, and so. That's, that's what I'm talking about when I say shugendo or yamabushi. Um, and it was, it was really steep and really hard and it was great because we hadn't started our, our pilgrimage in the mountains yet. So this was a bit of like, hey, this is what every day for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we went to Daihonzan Ehiji, uh, Soto Zen Temple. Daihonzan means great head temple, you know, the, the mountain seat of, of Soto Zen. And this is um, uh, the temple that Dogen founded when he was kicked out of Kyoto. So he came back from China and uh, started a temple and, and uh, was teaching and was, uh, well, there are different takes on it, but you know maybe considered a threat because he was so popular. That's a positive take on it. Um, and was kicked out of Kyoto and he uh, was given an opportunity to start a temple on, on this mountain. And he did. And so in Eheiji. And I was like, oh gosh, we gotta go there, right? We're a Soto Zen tradition. I'm, I'm a Soto Zen priest. I have to go to the head temple. Uh, but I wasn't thinking it was gonna be that moving or that cool. Um, and it was. It was my favorite part of the whole trip. Oh my gosh. There's Koji. That's Koji smiling, which is hard to tell, but that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a Koji smile. And, um, and we had these little badges that were like, we're a visitor, you know, so just <laughs> everybody knew. Uh, but it was really great because there wasn't infrastructure for English speaking visitors. We weren't the norm. Um, they did find a young monk as well, a second year monk, uh, who, which is kind of impressive practice at, at AHG is hard. People don't often stay there multiple years, uh, who spoke English. And I think he was kind of assigned to us. And so, uh, he often found us and, and would tell us about things. Um, but, but yeah, it was, you know, this is just Koji, like near, like not in any part of the temple, just kind of near the river that goes up to the graveyard and the waterfalls and things like that. But everything was just like astoundingly beautiful. Um, the, the image on the right is of the, um, the Hato, the place where you would do morning service. So this is where, you know, we woke up at 340 in the morning and uh, went up to the temple uh, with a small group of people who wanted to go to morning service with the with the monks and um, and walked up, 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 endless stairs to the top of the mountain where the Hato, the this this um, morning ceremony space is. And it's really huge. You're just seeing right down the middle, but it goes, you know, in both directions and and. Uh, and it was yeah it was amazing i wish that i could zoom in on the picture because next to those um uh lions i think yeah mm-hmm. um in the back in the kind of altar area you can see the mokugyo which is like yeah there's a pointer yes thank you um on the other side is the mokugyo covered in like a crazy quilt which oh, seems to be a thing and <laughs> i want to know more about that because it is amazing but the mokugyo was like if three or four of me were crouched together (laughs) it was that big (laughs) and i was so impressed by the monks who were playing it Mm -hmm. um and then the bell equally big on the other side which is like our our little bell there and um anyhow ahg was was absolutely stunning and um having spent so much time living in residence at green gulch and tassahara uh through san francisco zen center i f- i felt gratitude for being so prepared for morning service at ahg i knew the chance many of them i knew by heart i knew when to bow i knew what was happening i knew the kind of rhythm of of events and i felt like i could be uh not just not just a respectful uh, and curious visitor but i could really engage with it and um koji and i uh one you know koji and i are priests, but another one of the people there is not, and, um, am I doing good time-wise? You're fine. Okay. Um, okay. But the, the the priests there, the international office was like, oh no, do you, you know, to Koji and I, do you have your full, uh, you know, jikitotsu, do you have your full, is that the right word? Jikitotsu. Yeah. Um okesa and koromo and kimono and all of that with you because if you do you can't sit with the lay people you, you actually have to sit with and practice with oh. the monks oh. <laughs> and, and we were like oh no don't worry we don't have that all the us we're, we're traveling we're in, we have backpacks <laughs> and that would have been like 15 pounds of clothing um, so we just had our rakusus and uh, and away, like a really abbreviated and Travel robe. I was I was borrowing one of Sosan's, which was very nice. Um, so we're like, don't worry, don't worry. We want to sit with the lay people because it would have also been very stressful to try to keep up. with. Um, but it was really it was the the endless stairs up, wearing tabi and these slippers that kept falling off our feet, and there were you know people having to hand us our shoes. It was all very uh, stressful, but also humorous, and um, and it was beautiful, like just sitting there. Uh, seeing so many young monks who were in their first year uh, extremely tired after a morning of maybe cooking since 2 in the morning and doing Zazen since 345 or something, you know, watching them file into the Hato and, um, you know, their Tabi falling off or their, or their Zagu falling off or something, you know, just like this, like I was like, yeah, this is what it's like, you know, like this is, this is how it is to intensively practice, like, yeah, I recognize this, this feels this feels like my experience um, and that felt really grounding, you know, like if any, if I had any kind of magical ideas about the extra specialness of Japanese monastic practice, it was like, no, it's monastic practice. The, you know, people engaging in a really difficult thing um, and finding a way, you know, people falling asleep and then their, their friends in the Zen go poking them, you know, uh, all, of, all of it, you know, and, and it was beautiful. It was really beautiful. And the temple itself is beautiful. I wish I could share so many more pictures about it. Um, if you, I love the ten guy, the the, pair, the kind of um, heaven par- parasols <laughs> uh, that are an Indian in tradition, like the big that looks like a chandelier. Just mm-hmm. um, more amazing pictures of the grounds at AHG, because I was <laughs> in awe of it. There's Jizo with a, a hat and bib. Um, and you know uh, a view from inside the main temple gates and uh, outside the main temple gates there's a Kuan Yin on a a leaf boat and um, also kind of within the main temple gates looking in so you can kind of see some steep stairs but imagine that times a million to get up to the (laughs) to the morning ceremony area and then that's me um offering water to uh some of the statues grave markers in the cemetery i could have stayed in the cemetery for two weeks it was absolutely moving and powerful you can see a mound of of memorial uh stones behind me um spiraling up uh the, the statue i'm giving water to is so old that he's lost his hands and his face and i loved i went back and visited that statue a couple of times we were only there for two days um but absolutely amazing and um i think that's it for for akg but that felt like the official start of our pilgrimage to me like okay we've landed at the great head temple now now we begin so we traveled down to ki tanabe and um, started at Takajiri Oji. And there's us uh, looking so fresh and rested, <laughs> like, like, of course we can tell anything <laughs> the, very, the very beginning. Um, and, then, and then you see, I tried to take pictures that would show how steep it was. So on the right, if you look so close, you can see this little mustard-colored backpack of Koji, far ahead. Mm-hmm like 45 degree angle up the mountain. (laughs) It was just an awful lot of elevation gain uh, and loss every day. So just a lot of steep ups and steep downs in these beautifully uh, well cared for, but very natural paths. So things like this, where it's, you know, maybe the tree roots created paths and then they were reinforced by people with stones and whatever over time. Um, And it was hard, it was really, really hard. And, uh, And I have tips (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> for how to do things slightly different if anybody is excited about going, which I would, I would recommend it in a heartbeat. Um, and so, here's our first night. We did our first trek, first hike hike, and then we landed here, this place was called no Satoyama. And we um, and uh, were, you know, high up in the mountains in, in, in rural farmlands, um, which you can see in the picture on the bottom and uh, many of the places we stayed um in the picture on the right were just tatami mat rooms in, in old farmhouses or townhouses that are being um rented out in a way to pre- preserve them um and beautiful you know shiki uh bhutan mattresses it was it was <coughs> awesome and actually the, the firmness of the bedding was really great after that much hiking um we loved this place actually <laughs> this is our favorite stop on the trail and you know uh to to chicago the next day um always visiting shrines uh the the terrain we walked through on the left on the left you can see this was um we were in the village you know for part of the hike uh, many days we went through villages and things like that and uh, again on the right you can see how steep everything is everything is you know just up and into the mountains and um I wanted to mention manners again, you know, um, one of the things that keeps coming up in Dharma talks here, and I keep re, re, reiterating it is, you know, this question of like, what if we treated our forms and practices as if they weren't, um, you know, a metaphor, but were literal, you know, what if when, um, when you see, uh, I, actually, the picture here doesn't show it, but those zigzagging white, um, uh pieces of of what look like paper hanging down from torii gates and mm-hmm. things like that which which signify uh, this is the abode of a god you know the gods are here what if you took that seriously what if I took that seriously you know what if I said hello to the spirits of the, the tree or the mountain or the waterfall that were worshipped here that are worshipped here um because people were pilgrims uh, you know people were joining us as pilgrims on this trail many folks from Japan Uh, many of them doing a a trek for the first time since lockdown and covid so praying earnestly you know and and so it felt important to me to try to settle into meeting and greeting the gods and the spirits um, in the way as close as i could to what they're used to and having those good manners and not and not um you know saying oh well how quaint you know this is What a beautiful thing that these people believe or other people believed in the past or that kind of thing but just needing this as reality um and it was profoundly moving to to do that and i feel like zen practice is really good at um supporting uh, giving us a lattice or a framework to have those kinds of good manners to, to to move our bodies through those forms and then catch up with our bodies and feel what what did it feel like to to give respect in this way um, this is a, a UNESCO World Heritage Site and one of our stops, Unomine Onsen, also a small town in the mountains. Um, Onsen is just hot spring. There are lots of natural hot springs everywhere. Yunomine has one of the oldest uh, kind of public hot springs. The, the river that you can see to the left of, of Koji there uh has the hot springs bubbling up right there so you can just you know get bags of eggs or bags of sweet potatoes and stick them in and boil them which i did and it was amazing (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, like the best sweet potato i've ever eaten in my life just tasted like flowers um and then i and, and we spent two nights there so we could take a loop trail um without our packs one day which was actually the hardest hike uh so thank goodness we did it without our packs and uh, on the right, you can see a jizo. I just wanted to share that because it's so old. You know, so many of the the statues or markers or shrines are so old that they're just a lump of rock with the the remembrance of a carving of jizo or words or that kind of thing. Um, and I think they're so beautiful. And um, so loop de loop to Hongo Taisha. Honga Taisho is one of the big, the big three on the, on the trail um, as far as shrines or, or um, temples. So again, on the left, you can see here's a really steep trail that's just uh, how the water has carved steps into the rock over time. And that's what our trail was. Uh, and, you know, and so it's slippery with leaves and things like that. Uh, we were so lucky with our weather because it wasn't raining most of the time we were hiking uh and i had a, a hiking staff but i wish i'd i wish i'd had poles you know just for that extra stabilization um and it was amazing like ah oh, i wish i could have spent weeks and weeks and weeks just taking photos another jizo um beautifully given a little house to to stay safe in and this was the hard day so this was maybe a third, third, fourth hike in. Um, And the day when we, we, uh, actually you see a pack, actually we did have like, we took our packs as day packs, but we left um, the bulk of our stuff behind at the place where we were staying. And um, I think maybe this was a 14 or 15 kilometer day. And uh, yeah, and it was when it really hit like my, you know, feet were screaming my ankles were screaming my knees were screaming uh my pack was great so my back wasn't screaming (laughs) my hips weren't screaming but um you know maybe at about the eight and a half nine mile mark uh i was you know there were tears in my eyes and it was a lot of like you know that question of why am i doing this you know but i did I do know my body well enough to know uh, I wasn't causing damage you know I knew that I was in pain but not causing damage and I could continue on the hike that day and um and that was when I started really chanting you know chanting the four of us spread ourselves out so it was though as though we were walking alone we would just like tag up here and there but we uh, gave ourselves a lot of space and you know I just to just you know each step was a syllable in the chant and I felt, you know, I hear the crows and think of Yatagarasu, the, the kind of uh, messenger deity of the mountains and, um, you know, feel the wind and the, and the mist and the tropical birds and, um, and just, and, you know, felt both like how much suffering I was experiencing, but also um, how incredibly lucky I was to just be in that moment in that place. And it was the kind of the moment where I was like, oh, this is a pilgrimage. This is practice. This is hard and that's okay. This is, that's what I, that's what I knew going into this. It's okay. Um, people have done this for a thousand years, you know, and, uh, and beautiful things, you know, we would, I found one place where it was a tiny, tiny little Jesus statue from the 1800s where a man had been on the pilgrimage and had died and he laid himself down and put his offering coin in his mouth and died and and didn't you know midway between two two shrines and the the villagers found him you know and were so moved by his practice that they put a little jizo there and remember him you know that kind of thing where i was just like oh yeah people have been walking this people's feet have been walking this for so long (laughs) i can i can do this too um i'm part of a great long tradition i'm one more stitch in this in this great robe you know um, and more on that day you can see there's uh, Haley and Derek you can see the mountains in the background how high up we are how steep that trail is going beyond them a super cool way marker from the, like <laughs> 17 or 1800s like, hey <laughs> go that way <laughs> I loved it so much. And like at least half of the text that's um, carved in there is the person's name who carved it, which I also think is kind of great. Like there's a, a beautiful memory of a person who wanted to help, you know, um, and oh, we were so exhausted by the time we got to this main shrine that we barely, barely spent any time. Uh, but we made offerings, did our prayers, um, and I took some pictures. You can see Yata Garasu, the three-legged crow, there, um, where the pointer is, and it was beautiful. And I think it's also the official shrine of the soccer team, the like Japanese one of the big main Japanese soccer teams. So there were a lot of there was a lot of soccer paraphernalia, <laughs> and I thought that was really cool. There is just everywhere there were reminders that the temples are for the people. You know, when we went to Aheiji, you could buy Omomori little um protective pouches that are prayers for certain things like getting uh passing grades on your tests or driving safely or a safe delivery of a child or um health just generally health. i got one for health for me and um and you know and it was just this constant reminder that yeah like the temples and the shrines are for people to take care of their daily needs to have support in dailiness it's not about kind of a rush to awakening you know like like a, a striving towards uh nirvana it's like how do i you know how do i get through the day how do i pass my tests so that i can work in the field that i want to work in you know like that kind of thing um so down down to koguchi um this might be a little out of order but i wanted to show some pictures of farms we walked through so many farms this is tea black tea um, and there is my friends down below the the red torii gates and a, a offering the water offering i wanted to show at least one picture of the water offering um that you would do to purify yourself before you um make offerings and prayers and you can kind of see those white zigzagging um papers that i was talking about and i do know what they're called uh let's see, what are they called shide shide um and then finally, Nachi-san, final day, final major temple complex, the end of our of our pilgrimage journey. Um, this was uh, the goddess enshrined in the Shinto part is uh, Musubino Ma, Musubino Kami, um to tie the knot, marriage goddess. And uh, but the whole complex includes a Buddhist temple as well, and um, and they happily coexisted until the 19th century when it was like no 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 separate separate can't have the same religions in one spot uh, but now they're back together um and the this is the place so this picture on the left is a massive maybe 850 year old camphor tree and um so sacred you know and uh, on the right you can see uh that you can walk through its roots and when you when you do you um you know you carry with yourself a great wish or a prayer on a wooden stick um that then gets uh, put into those slots right there you can see on the left and will be burned by the um by the the attendance of that shrine in in ritual um, and so at that point my whole body i was dealing with a lot of the kind of chronic systemic inflammation that i deal with and, and so my prayer was for the easing of the systemic inflammation in my body. Um, and yeah, that was a moment actually for me walking through this 850 year old camphor tree, uh, just really feeling the intensity of all of the years of practice and care for this being, this great being. Um, and then the, the pagoda is part of the Buddhist side of things. Um, a very famous one that again burnt, has burnt down and been rebuilt several times, or at least one big time. Um, you can see the big waterfall in the background, and that's the largest single drop waterfall in Japan, and um, also a major. That's the reason that Nachi, the sacred Nachi complex, is there, is because of this waterfall and how powerful the um, ancient Shinto deities that are that like live in that waterfall. Are, but also the practice—it's um, associated with Kuan Yin. It's as- and the practice that takes place there is often um, dedicated to Hudo Mioo, that sort of fiery protector of practice, uh, who I love—I really love Hudo Mioo a lot. Um, so amazing! Gosh, we, and we were lucky because this day it was pouring rain. You can see my three buddies in the picture on the left, and um, we decided not to do the final hike because it was the steepest and hardest, mm. and it was pouring rain. Um, and I, we didn't feel like it would be safe. And so we instead took buses from Koguchi to Nachi-san and spent maybe three hours in this complex because we weren't exhausted from having a <laughs> Um And yeah, finally Koji and I peeled off from the group. Um, Hailey and Derek went back to Kyoto and we went to Koya-san, which Koya Mountain, is um, uh, Kukai uh, started uh, after his education in China, um, decided to start a kind of temple complex, also quite syncretic, um, on Koya Mountain in the 800s. Uh, so it's just a, it's just this ancient, um, extremely well supported, series of temples on the top of a mountain that you need to take many trains and a very very steep cable car to uh, but it was cool to get up there because the wisteria was still blooming some of the cherries were still blooming because it was so high up that it was so much colder that things were still blooming um, but in particular we wanted to go there not just because it's like you know a really important spiritual hub in japan and so so old but also because um the buddhism that's that's sort of centered there is shingon buddhism which is um you know practices a lot of the esoteric practices that are still really related to South Asian and Indian practices like goma ceremony like this one fire ceremony um and I was maybe one of three or four Indian people there uh you know feeling oh this is this is what I'm familiar with I know this ceremony the systems are the same and uh, you know, witnessing there was an older Indian couple in front of uh, Koji and me where we were sitting at this ceremony and actually at morning service where you can see the monk using the symbols and chanting. Um, and we were allowed to take pictures of monks here. In other places you weren't. Uh, but you know, I could see how moved the, the you know, the other Indian folks like me <laughs> were, uh, like me. By the chanting, by how similar so much of this was to Indian practice, and uh, Shingon Buddhism is Mahayana Buddhism like Soto Zen, and um, so it feels like what I practice plus what it's plus you know this sort of connection to my ancestry, and um, and you know really moved me. Morning service with the the chanting with the main head monk there, as well as another one who was playing the the uh, bell. Um, the chanting is so uh, eerie and melodic and um, just, I mean, I, I had shivers going up and down my spine and, you know, tears in my eyes. It was quite an experience to, to be there. It was our last day and we were very tired, so we kind of like moved through what we could move through. Again, like Kyoto, you could spend weeks and weeks on just Koya Mountain. and. Um, Visit 800-year-old wisteria vines. You know, visit 800-year-old plus uh, cherry trees. You know, just really beautiful um, history that's there and living there. Um, and and like in many places, many of the buildings have burnt down and been rebuilt several times, but some of them are still very, very old and, and original. I think that that might be the last slide that I have, and I. Don't know how I'm doing time wise because um. we let you run over. No, <laughs> yeah, you run over. Right. thanks for letting me run over. No <laughs> questions then. I guess. Um if you want, if you have closing remarks. Yeah. Please. Well, I guess. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for letting me run over. I wasn't paying attention to the time, um, but yeah, I, I uh, definitely. If anybody is curious about. Um, Pilgrimage practice, I'm not an expert, um, but if you ever had a wish to specifically engage in a Buddhist pilgrimage practice in Japan, I'm also not an expert, but I can tell you what, uh, what you know, those tips, the things that I think would um, really support a practice of, of bodies of various sorts, <laughs> like mine. Um, being, you know, gluten-free, being trans and non-binary, um, those sorts of things and the experiences that we had navigating uh, pilgrimage in rural Japan. Um, but it was, a, it was absolutely an incredible experience, uh, and I feel so privileged to have gotten to go and really enlivened and sort of settled into priest practice through that. Um, and so, yes. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for listening.